I feel very grateful because when we get to invite our guests into the dining room and create special moments and be a part of their special occasions, be a part of their celebrations, just, just enjoying life and enjoying food and wine. And that is the one thing that I always return back to. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A lot of people unknowingly start a long career in hospitality washing dishes in their local cafe or restaurant. The connection with both people and produce often takes them by surprise and sweeps them off their feet for a full-time career in food. It's a natural and organic process full of bumps in the road, but it helps create people truly invested in their craft. Charlotte Martin is the venue manager of Lilac Wine in Cremorne, Victoria. Charlotte, how are you? I'm good, Huck. Thanks. How are you? I'm really good. It's good to get you on the show. You've uh, done all sorts of interesting things in your career, but it kind of all started uh, washing dishes. <laughs> it did. It did start washing dishes down at my local RSL down in Hyatt. I had a friend who he he worked front of house at the RSL and I just sort of needed a little bit of cash and, and started in the dish bay um, just bit of a wayward teenager at the time doing a lot of a lot of um, you know partying and and wanting to get a little bit of extra cash to sort of support that <laughs> that lifestyle um, and yeah sort of slowly started doing a little bit more floor work a little bit of cash handling at the RSL um, until I decided that I wanted to sort of explore a little bit more in in front of housework and getting interested in, in making coffee. So I kind of just just bounce around a few cafes around Melbourne. Um, like I said, I was a little bit of a wayward teenager. So nothing ever really stuck. I sort of just floated around uh, for a little bit, not ever really taking hospitality seriously as a career whatsoever. I always thought it was a, a bit of a bridging um, job for the meantime just to make a little bit of cash. And I found myself working at a cafe down in Mordialic called Main Street after a couple of years, after a couple of years of just bouncing around. And I got really interested in coffee and, um, and making coffee and serving coffee and all of the – I was very young at the time. Everything was super new and just learning all of the different types of, of, of coffee orders that so many different people um, would request and, and learning latte art for the first time when I nailed like a Rosetta. I thought it was the best day ever. Um, and just coming up uh, into that sort of really high volume production, I really I found that I came pretty addicted to being on the machine on a very busy day. We were on the corner of uh, I think it's Main Street in Mordialic and um, the station. So we'd get all of the the morning foot traffic of people heading into the city from Mordialic Station and you'd have, we did such a high volume um, of coffee. You've had like one person who would be loading the shots on the machine, one person pulling the shots, someone steaming the milk and then someone pouring. Um, and just, you know, you'd have an, an entire ticket line and then you'd have tickets hanging off the side of the machine. <laughs> and the addiction to that, the addiction to being there for six hours straight staring at a coffee machine and just smashing out coffees and trying to do the best quality that you possibly could in a reasonable amount of time um, and then looking up and, and, you know, six to seven hours had gone past. I I really got 
in the zone and all I wanted to do was work. And I just started working more and more. And I just, um, yeah, that's, I think that's where it really hit home to me that hospitality that was something that I wanted to do. But there were so many steps uh, to come uh, to where I am today as a venue manager. Well, we can explore those uh, steps in a sec. I just want to go back to, you said you sort of fell out of school early. It wasn't really for you. You were sort of finding your way. Uh, h- how did it make you feel when you landed on that sort of, uh, in that coffee shop and realised that sort of um, what hospitality could deliver? Oh, that's a really good question. I think a sense of purpose for me, um, leaving school, I'm from a family of a very a great family of, of educated humans who all sort of decided to go into education um, and get themselves degrees, go into medical science, um, law, commerce, all of those kinds of things. And I think for me being someone who never was extremely academic, I, I'm feeling quite lost for a long time, finding a sort of a sense of purpose um, was massive for me. Um, in that in that role and and finding something that that sparked a little bit of inspiration and a bit of hope uh, and I think a lot of people in the industry have have felt that way at some point in their career where maybe you don't know exactly what direction you're going to take and and just just having that sense of purpose was massive for me that uh, role as a barista gave you that sort of connection with the front of house and, and with customers for the first time. But when, when was the first sort of chance you got to be on the floor in a, in a venue and what was that like? So I did like a little bit of peppered floor work, obviously like running coffees out um, to people and, and that sort of thing, but I never really sort of section waited or, or worked in a restaurant. And I was struggling a little bit with again, finding my place in the world um, and knowing what I wanted to do. And I decided to take a job up in the ski fields at Mount Buller. And that was originally a a bar slash barista job. It was in a hotel. So we lived in the hotel that we were working in, in the bistro. Um, And the nature of doing a ski season is that injuries happen so we had quite a large team to begin with at the start of the season, but most people go up um, to the snow so that they can have some cheap rent, earn a bit of money, and they can ski and snowboard for a little bit cheaper. And it's a lot of fun, but we did we lost quite a few team members to injuries along the season. And so the team sort of condensed and got smaller and smaller, especially towards the sort of end weeks of the season where it's impossible to get new staff. No one's coming up to do two, three weeks up in the snow. It's a massive undertaking. So I ended up jumping out on the floor a lot more. I learned how to wait a section for the first time. My me- my restaurant manager at the time, Nikki, she she taught me everything just, just to get me by and started running food, learned how to carry three plates. <laughs> and I And I started to engage with the guests. And that part of it was was really special. I'd spent a lot of time behind the bar, sort of hiding back there, creating a product and serving it, but not really having that guest engagement and finding that guest engagement through um, necessity and basically having to be on the floor to help the team and and get service done in, in a venue that was not going to stop. We were in a hotel. It was seven days a week. 
um, was really cool. I got to spend a lot of time with families, um, a lot of time with the regulars because the, the hotel that I was working in had like a loyalty program. So there was lots of people who would come up um, and ski quite frequently. And that was a, a new perspective for me in, in guest engagement and what hospitality is really about, which is the guest experience. And off the end of that, when I, when I returned to Melbourne, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I decided that um, this was something that I was 100% sure that I wanted to pursue and that I wanted to engage with. So I remember going on a little search. I jumped online. I, I started typing in, you know, like trying to find restaurants in Melbourne. I didn't know much about the scene. I didn't know much about any of the good restaurants in Melbourne. I didn't know anything about it. And I stumbled across a job ad um, for a restaurant, which is a bit of an institution in Melbourne down on, on St Kilda Beach, Donovan's. Wow. And, yeah, <laughs> and I applied for this job at this – at the time, I think that they were a hatted restaurant. I'm pretty sure they'd just run – one um, restaurant of the year and I applied for this job. I didn't think anything of it and I got a phone call from Selena who who said to me, she's like, yeah, we'd love to get you down here for an interview. I said, yeah, great. And then I panicked because um, I thought I was completely out of my depth but I, I, I wanted to try and so I, I remember Huck, I went out and I bought a suit, um, <laughs> the only suit I'd, I'd ever owned. I thought that that's what you needed to do to get into fine dining in Melbourne. So I went and bought a suit and I went down to this interview and I sat there and they asked me a lot of questions about my skill and my knowledge and I blatantly lied and said that I was much more capable um, than I probably was for the role. Uh, <laughs> I got a phone call a couple of days later and they offered me a job and it was it was. I was elated. It was incredible. I couldn't believe that I'd been accepted into this this role, into a restaurant that I, to me, was like the pinnacle. I was like, oh, from from cafe restaurant work to here, this is amazing. And I'm really grateful that I had that job um, because it built a really solid foundation for me to carry on to the next years of my career. Um, they have an amazing training program. And it was very old school. It was very old school, closed kitchen, you know, um, French, old school French fine dining, silver service, filleting fish at the table, you know, breaking down whole pigs. I couldn't leave the kitchen for the first week until I knew every single menu item and I sat a little exam to prove that, yeah, they've got like an amazing training program. And at the time it was like I was, a, I was in my early 20s, late teens, and it was sort of like I'd roll my eyes. I was like, oh. You know, they're, they're all taking this very seriously. But at the same time, I used to take the bus an hour and a half to and from this job and I was determined to succeed. And I would just study um, and make sure that when I was coming through those doors, I was being the best version of myself and 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 elevating the experience for the guests. And I, yeah, I loved it. I've enjoyed it very much. Well, as a guest, having um, someone fill it a fish in front of you is, is an extraordinary, um, very appetizing thing to experience. What was it like the first time you did that in front of a guest? Do you remember? Terrifying. <laughs> I think it was terrifying. I can't actually remember. Like I couldn't tell you the date or the time, but there was lots of times um, and lots of firsts at that restaurant, filleting a fish at the table for the first time. 
and concentrating so intently on making sure that you get the fillets coming off the fish correctly and that you're not leaving any bones. So you're not talking to the guest, <laughs> which is what, what the ideal scenario is. That's so incredibly awkward because they're trying to talk to you and ask you how your day's been um, and you're shaking a little bit, <laughs> trying not to drop the fish on the floor. Um, yeah, it takes, it takes a few before you get to a point where where that's not the scariest thing that you have to do during a day, which is quite funny. <laughs> How much did you change in that period of time at Donovan's and, Donovan's and what did you take from that time? Yeah, a huge, a huge amount. I, a huge amount of maturity um, came from that job. I was working with a lot of older hospitality professionals and a lot of them had worked in that restaurant for quite a while. There was a few people who had worked there for 7, 13 one guy, Joseph, he worked there for 20 years when I was there. I think the restaurant had been around for 22. So a massive amount of maturity um, going from from working with people my own age to working with people who were hospitality professionals who could give me a lot of guidance. Um, I calmed down a lot because I, <laughs> I found that I really wanted to do my best when I was at the restaurant, but I also found a, a an extra element and an extra layer to my passion for the hospitality industry through talking to the kitchen. Um, I became quite close with Kevin. He wasn't the head chef at the time, but he's been the head chef for the last couple of years. And I used to talk to him about the produce and where things were coming from and, and spend time finding out the processes of how things were cooked and, and why they were doing things the way that they did. It was an incredibly large kitchen. And I tacked on to a couple of little produce excursions that the kitchen would do. So it would just be the chefs. I remember I think the first one was like it was 6 a.m. And I was the only front of house staff member there. I'd like begged them to let me come. And we went out to some asparagus farm in like Kuirup um, at 6 a.m. And we went and saw like the tented white asparagus next to the regular asparagus. And to me, that was that was the bomb. Like that was amazing. I had no idea that white asparagus even existed. And we went in and we did a little harvest. And I remember, yeah, just thinking, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about what's actually going on in the hospitality industry. So it was a really organic evolution for me. But that is what inspired me to to move out of Melbourne um, and to move to South Australia and explore what else was going on in the hospitality industry, especially especially in terms of produce, um, not just food but wine as well. You spent a lot of your career in, in South Australia. Tell us about that that move. What, what was it like for you moving there and how did it all come about? Yeah, it was a bit wild actually. I um, <laughs> <laughs> I. Like I said, I sort of had this moment where I, I wanted more and I I didn't want to stay in the same place for as long as the people around me had. They were obviously very content, but I really wanted to learn more about more about the world and I didn't have any real direction, but I ended up resigning from Donovan's. I think I gave about three months notice because I had absolutely no idea where I was going to go and what I was going to do. Um, and I started reading online some articles. I don't know who the publications were, but there was a couple of articles online 
about what Jock was doing in South Australia at Arana and I got really interested and I started doing a little bit of research and um, yeah, I was really interested in the in the native produce and, and this weird restaurant in South Australia that only seats like, you know, 20 people. It's getting all of this exposure. And I went onto their Instagram page and it said, now hiring. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's give this a go. And so I got in contact with them, maybe via Instagram, maybe via email. I couldn't remember. Um, and Greta got in contact with me and... She was really excited. She said, we'd really love for you to come over and, and meet the team and see what we do. And a couple of days later, I booked a flight and I went over to South Australia and I, I went to, I was, again, very nervous. I went to this interview at this tiny little apartment restaurant above this other little restaurant on Rundle Street and I walked in and it was the middle of the day. So, like, the prep for Rana's service would start at 10 a.m. and it would be ironing napkins and, you know, soaking hand towels in lemon myrtle solution um, to go into the towel warmer at the end of the night. So I walked into chaos, like absolute chaos. There was there were things everywhere. There was staff everywhere. I met Greta and Emily and um, we chatted for quite a while and then I went into service with them that night and I loved it. It was, it was beautiful chaos. It, I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen... 19 dishes, like little snacks perfectly crafted going out to the table like in sequence and these girls in their like beautiful black dresses um, creating this this experience for the diners and I just thought, yeah, I really want to do this. And when when the team asked me to come on board, I was I was absolutely enamoured and I packed up everything that I own into the back of my old Hyundai and I drove to South Australia, I think a week later, it wasn't long after, um, and moved over there and it was, it was, it was life changing. It was, it was I'm very happy that I made the decision to do that because being in South Australia, being in, in that sort of hub where there's so much wine production and so much focus on food and produce, it was, it was an amazing experience. They kept me there for a while. <laughs> Arana was known, obviously, for the foraging, but also, you know, an early adapter of the idea of non-alcoholic beverages. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit about your time there and some of the things and experiences you had with both of those. Yeah, so um, winemaking was obviously something that I was very interested in. My, um, my perspective um, really quickly changed to to non-alcoholic beverage creation. They already had a program at the restaurant where they did like a non-alcoholic beverage pairing with uh, the dishes alongside the alcoholic beverage pairing. And uh, it sort of, it, it ties in hand in hand with the foraging because Pete, who was the full-time restaurant forager, he used to come in quite a lot and I got really interested in, in talking to him and trying to find out where everything comes from and, and what it tastes like, what it's used for. And I pestered him for a long time to take me out foraging and he just used to say to me, he'd be like, oh, you're just probably getting in the way. Like it's not, it's not productive for you to come and be pestering me with all these questions <laughs> while we're out on the road. Until, and I think quite a few months went past until one day Pete came into the restaurant and he said, hey, Smiley, do you want to come out foraging with me? And I said, yes, I do. And so I used to start doing that 
on top of on top of my hours. So before service and before we even started getting prepped for service, I'd jump in the car, Peter'd pick me up at like six AM and we'd go out and we'd be like using lacrosse sticks to weirdly reach into people's gardens to get like lily pillies or we'd be down in Port Adelaide like climbing up on a ladder to get mangrove um, seeds and, and do all of these like these really weird journeys and I loved it and that's when I started to look at the non-alcoholic beverage pairing and be like, hey, how can we incorporate more of this into that? Um, and I started to take that on as well. So I gave myself a lot of extra work that I didn't necessarily need to do. I took these simple and delicious recipes and I started to sort of try and add a layer of complexity. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, um, giving people that option to come out and if they weren't dining and they weren't enjoying alcoholic beverages, they still had something that was really special that had been thought about um, and that, and it was creative as well, um, which I'd never really had the opportunity to do anything creative in a role. Um, so that was really cool. Shabosho is a really important uh, venue in your career, but before that you were, you were meant to be part of the team with um, Sharon and David at Fino Vino. Tell us about that period of time and, and what happened. Yeah, I, um, I worked for a very short period at East End Cellars and um, – then heard about the the project with Fino Vino. Was super excited once I spoke to Sharon and and she she had offered me the venue manager position or the restaurant manager position. Um, and I'd never fathomed opening a restaurant before. Um, I'd heard people talk about it over the time and and in their careers, and I was really excited to be able to be a part of an opening team. Um, but. It, surreptitiously during that period, I was I was just food running at a very busy Thai restaurant in um, in South Australia, Golden Boy, just just to get a bit of cash in the meantime while I was waiting for it to open because the, it got pushed back quite a few months and um, I'd, I'd finished my time up at East End Cellars and had a couple of bourbon shots at the bar um, after a service and got on my push bike to ride home and um, I crashed my push bike in Ryan Mill Park and I actually snapped my collarbone in half. I know it was it was a bad accident. I actually, I couldn't get up and I had to call myself an ambulance. It was all very embarrassing. Um, but, yeah, then, then called Sharon the next day and, and was hoping that by some grace of God she would be able to make it work until until I was healed, but unfortunately because of the timing, I was going to be off for about six weeks and the restaurant was meant to open in two, three weeks. Um, and so we, we parted ways and she found another restaurant manager and I, I, was, I was very sad. Um, I was very devastated about that because it was something that I thought was going to be a turning point in my career where I got to take ownership of something and, and um and really step up into a, into a different role and, and learn leadership and learn management. But it ended up being a blessing in disguise because that's how I ended up at Shibosho, really. I had no money. I'd spent all my savings um, with injury and the restaurant manager at the time, Della, she actually got in contact with me and, and said, you know, do you want do you want a, a section waiting position basically? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd eat... I need to get back into work. Um, 
I'd been off for about six weeks at that point. And yeah, started working at Shibosho. Never thought that I'd work there. Never really thought about Japanese food or sake or anything like that. And very quickly um, moved up into assistant manager. And then when Della left, moved up to being the venue manager very fast. Wow. And it was, yeah, it was a really super fast transition from where I was to running a very large venue um, that was, at the time, we were only operating, I think, five days a week. But over the course of sort of the, the next six months since I started running the venue, it, it took a lot of traction and we were operating like seven days a week, lunch and dinner, um, and and just pumping. And so that was that was a massive transition from what we were speaking about at the very start of this conversation to that moment and just being in that and learning as I go, basically. Um, I think it's funny when we talk about hospitality and we talk about leadership and, and, and managing teams, no one really hands you, no one gives you the script. There's no book written about how you do those things and that was a big um, a big shift in, in my perspective and a massive learning moment where I had to navigate interpersonal relationships, guest relationships very quickly, um, learn a lot of patience and, and yeah, obviously um, navigate COVID through all of that as well was, it was a challenge. It was a really challenging role um, and, I, and I loved it. I enjoyed it so much. I worked with... Um, Joel Balon, who was the head chef there at the time, and and I learned so much from him. He was such a massive support for me, and and when he left, um, working with young me and just seeing her boss lady on the pass running that kitchen, um, like absolutely military style, um, and getting a chance to work with my very good friend Tom Jack, who also again he was just an inspiration, and he always. Always, no matter how difficult things were, no matter what challenges we were facing, what we were doing, he would always come back to the guest experience. He'd be out there on the floor chatting to the guests, running food out, making sure the team were okay. And and that was that was a massive highlight for me. I really enjoyed it. I really, even though super challenging. You came from a really challenging situation, as you mentioned, after that that accident and not having a job, and ended up running the venue. What what were the challenges and um, successes for you during that period to build your confidence and and um, springboard you moving forward? Yeah, I think I think the challenges were definitely um, staffing staffing the restaurant was was a big challenge, and. Me being the kind of person that I am, I was very, very determined to make sure that the restaurant was running um, in the best way that it possibly could be, which meant just putting in putting in some pretty long hours, um, being there from open till close every day, and 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 supporting the team as much as possible. Um, that was that was the biggest challenge, but that led to learning so many amazing things. Um, that springboarded my career into the place that it is today. You know, I got the chance to learn all of the back of house things, um, all of the boring stuff that nobody really cares about, rostering, budgets, ordering, stock control, um, and being able to master all of those things has been a massive um, change in trajectory of my career. 
Um, but also having the experience to do amazing collaborations with different people in the industry uh, was huge as well. So through those challenges and through that adversity, I was really seen by my upper management um, and recognised for all of the hard work that I'd inputted. And I remember we, we did, I think my first collab that I was like lucky enough to be a part of was, was with Christine Manfield and we did it at Chabot Show and I got a little taste for it. And then shortly after we we did a, um, a collab with Ben Williamson uh, from Agnes Restaurant in, in Brisbane and he came down with his Sue and they cooked their menu and it was during a very, very, very busy period. So basically in this period of the restaurant, we had, we were opening Showman, which was the ramen restaurant that we built into the facade of the restaurant. Um, in the same week we were doing this takeover and we were going live with a new point of sale system. So we're operating lunch and dinner seven days a week um, and hitting send on going live with a new operating system, which I had spent quite a few weeks sort of configuring and setting up um, and working with them. Also, you know, um, organising this takeover, putting that together and putting together this new restaurant that we were putting on the facade. Like there were nights where I was there at, at midnight putting together the sandwich boards and getting the varnish out and painting the last little bits of this thing. And and when Ben came and he did the takeover with us, um, it was awesome. We had the best time. His food is amazing. And I was just there at 8 o'clock every morning and walking out of the restaurant at 1 a.m. And he recognised that and he was like, I would really like for you to come up to Brisbane um, and we'll do a collaboration up there and – that was an amazing um, experience for me to to be recognised by not just a peer in the industry but someone who I admire quite a lot to say, hey, I see you, I see your hard work, let's do some fun stuff in Brisbane. Um, and so little things like that definitely gave me a lot more confidence uh, in my ability um my knowledge and just my passion and it gave me a lot more confidence to be able to start pushing myself a little bit further and and doing things that are more creative and I guess that's that's probably after uh, maybe about a year um, more of working at the restaurant why I really wanted to challenge myself and and take on the next role and and find out what was what was next on the path for me. Well tell us about that um, move that you made next. You went back to back home to Melbourne. Um, how, how did it come about, and what it was? What was it like for you to move back? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm very glad that I moved back to Melbourne. Actually, there wasn't really a plan. Again, I had decided that it was time for me to move into something different, a different challenge. I really wanted to learn from other people so I think for a lot of the time in that role like we spoke about earlier I felt like um, I was just self-learning how to do a lot of things um, which was an amazing opportunity and I loved it and I, I learned a lot of skills but I really wanted to go and find other people in the industry that I could work underneath and learn more skills from because um, I'd started to become a lot more interested in operations 
and that side of, of the hospitality industry. And I sort of had a little look around. I, I got in touch with the Mulberry Group who um, have a couple of different restaurants here in Melbourne. Nathan Tolman, he, he started his career also in cafe land. He had Top Paddock and Kettle Black and then he sold those off and, and decided to get into, into restaurant dining, um, opening Hazel and Dessou on Flinders Lane and the Boathouse, um, La Cantina and a couple of other projects. And I saw that they were opening this 80-seater wine bar in Cremorne and I had no idea where Cremorne, I didn't know what Cremorne was. I didn't even know how to say it properly. My dad kept teasing me because I kept saying, like, Cremone. <laughs> I had no idea. And I, I had a few conversations with them. We had a couple of, of Zoom calls and I was looking at a few other jobs. I was looking at maybe going to Sydney, potentially overseas. Um, there, was no, there was no set formula in what I wanted to do. Um, and through a lot of conversations with them and, and hearing about the company and, and what their ethos is, and everything to do with the non-for-profit and the Common Ground Project, I was really interested in, in exploring it, even though I didn't think I'd be interested. I, In my mind, I'm like, oh, 80 seat a wine bar in, in the suburbs, is that really for you? You've been working in this like high-intensity environment for such a long time. Uh, will, you, will you necessarily enjoy something like that? Will it be stimulating enough? Um, but I wanted to explore it. And I, I flew to Melbourne to meet Nathan um, and I had a little meeting with, with my food and beverage operations manager, Nathan Matthew and um, Ryan Bresler. And also Nathan Tolman was there and the new CEO, um, Leon Kennedy. And I just sat there and I thought, oh, this is very intense. Like they're really vetting me for this position. And we walked from the cafe that we were at and we walked through the back streets of Cremorne, which was really interesting because I once attempted to go back to school, um, which was at the Kang and Batman TAFE, which is in Cremorne. And we walked past it. Yeah. It's, and I was like, oh, I, I did like a semester there <laughs> when I attempted to go back to school and do something with my life. Um, and we kept walking down and we got to this like old warehouse. I don't know if you've seen the facade of Lilac, but it's pretty unassuming. And at the time there was absolutely nothing in there except for all of this old auction furniture um, and dust and it was, it was dark and smelly and we went inside and Nathan sort of walked me around and I could just, he was like a, a kid, like his eyes lit up and he was showing me like where, where the, the fireplace is going to potentially go and like where the oven's going to be and, and this couch, this is going to be here and there's going to be loads of people and a, and a record player and I could see it. Like I could see it just from the way that he was chatting and the way that he was talking to me. I had this vision in my head and he like he painted this picture of this venue and I just, I went, yep, let's do it. It sounds really cool. Um, and, yeah, so very quickly again, about a month went past and I packed all my things into my car, <laughs> made the hike back to Melbourne. It was four trips actually. I have I had more stuff. I developed a few things over the next five years and, um, yeah, I did four trips back and forth came back to Melbourne and then and then jumped in and started working with the Mulberry Group. 
Tell us about your role uh, these days and, and how do you get the best out of your staff? What's your approach? Yeah, I love that question. Um, my role these days, I guess, as venue manager is is making sure that the team are happy and they're feeling supported and passionate. And I think that that's been the main, the main way that I see um, getting the most out of, out of the humans that are working for you is you just, all you need to do is be there to support, basically. Um, we've hired an incredible team of, of passionate young hospitality professionals who are very, very good at what they do. Um, and I find being there for guidance, but also staying a little bit out of the way and just letting people flourish into what they, what they do best. Um, and supporting them in, in, in terms of making sure that we have good culture, in making sure that everything is, is very structured and organised and easy, the expectation is there, um, and then letting them do their thing. Um, and I'm super proud of everyone who's on the team at the moment. We've got some really, really amazing humans working for us. And they're all really excited and passionate. And I think it comes down to the the levels um, that are extra that we have in the restaurant. When you look at um, things like, like the non-for-profit and the Common Ground Project, it adds an extra level of excitement for people um, where they feel like they're they're making a difference. They're coming in. They get to do what they love, create uh, delicious cocktails, serve delicious wine and food, and and understand where that comes from and the ethos behind it. But also having that that other layer of knowing that it's benefiting the community and that what we're doing um, is essentially, you know, it's honest and fun. You mentioned the common ground project, which I wanted to ask you about. Tell us what it is. Oh, yeah, cool. So the Common Ground Project is it's the Mobby Group's sort of non-for-profit arm. Um, it's based out of or, or attached to La Cantina, which is out in the Geelong region. Um, and the Common Ground Project, they sort of focus on regenerative farming um, and education for community. So they have the Staying Grounded Project um, where they train, they have training and employment pro- programs for um for people who are facing disadvantage, basically in the Geelong region, mainly asylum seekers and immigrants seeking employment. So they have these programs where the La Cantina kitchen is closed on like a Monday and a Tuesday. And what they've been working mostly at the moment with Afghani refugees, but it could be anyone in the wider community. And these, these women are amazingly good cooks. And they've got amazing skills in the kitchen, um, but they don't necessarily have the operational skills to work in a commercial kitchen or necessarily the language skills or even um, even the pathways to employment like superannuation and all of those kinds of things. Um, so the Common Ground Project, uh, staying grounded, work on um, supporting them with those skills a couple of nights a week and then one night of every month they do this big feast where they actually get to do a service and they get to learn all of those skills um, and and then integrate into employment, which is really cool. And aside from that, the regenerative farm that the Common Ground Project has, 
um, is just really trying to educate the community about um, uh, health and, and the importance of, of where the produce comes from. Um, there's a partnership with Vic Health at the moment, which is like thinking and talking about food and health in the community um, and, and the food hub that they're doing now, which is the opportunity for not just the common ground produce, but lots of different producers from all around the area come together, almost like a market, um, and discuss ideas and share food and, and educate people basically on on where where their produce comes from and why they should care about about the way that's produced. Well, you've built an amazing career by kind of um, pulling the rug from under your feet and taking a chance and and really going for it when you feel like you need a change. What is it that you love about what you do? I love I love the hospitality industry because I feel very grateful, and I say this quite often. I say it all the time. I, I I question people. What do What do you like to do on your day off? What do you like to do um, in your free time? And a lot of people like to have a dinner party, and they like to invite friends over and create a special atmosphere and serve delicious food that they've cooked and and share stories. And I feel very grateful because we get to do that every single night. Um, we get to invite our guests into the dining room and and create special moments and be a part of their special occasions, be a part of their celebrations, be a part of their grieving, be a part of just just enjoying life and enjoying food and wine. And that is the one thing that I always return back to is, of course, I love all of the external um, parts of, of what we do and, and my job, but that's the baseline right there is just being able to make someone smile or introducing someone to something that might be out of their comfort zone in a really honest and caring environment and having having those discussions is that's what gets me going well charlotte it's been an absolute honor to hear just a part of your story today um please keep in touch and uh we'll catch up again soon all right thanks huck this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.